Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the stories of diverse leaders who found belonging in our space, so you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I get so very real with Liang Zhao, the founder and CEO of Vansuri, a full-service digital events and marketing agency helping businesses navigate the modern-day media landscape, which, as we know, is incredibly challenging and complex. Now, Liang and I are dear friends, and she really focuses on elevating the stories of women and diverse leaders, especially Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So her and I have a ton in common. This episode was probably the easiest, but also the hardest I've ever recorded. Rarely am I face-to-face with someone that is so similar to myself. Leong and I are both Asian-American women in media who looked around, said enough was enough, and decided to build our own media companies to help change the face of wealth, of representation, and the world. So there are moments where her and I get a little, you know, choked up, where topics become very sensitive to us. And so please listen with grace as we navigate this, this new territory for us and you know, talk about a topic so passionate to us and, and so deeply rooted in our personal stories. But I know you're going to love it. So please enjoy hearing Leong's story. She is amazing. Everyone should get to know her. Leong, thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech. I'm so excited to have you in the studio wearing the Fintech is Femme colorway on brand. Thank you so much for being here. I wanted to represent and <laughs> I wanted to show up for you in another way, an outfit choice. Oh my gosh, well, thank you. And Leon, you have shown up for me actually in a lot of ways. When I first launched Fintech is Femme before, well, back then it was what the Fintech, right? I mean, honestly, you were one of the first people in the space to really reach out to me and just be like, I appreciate badass women doing badass things in this space and carving out places for themselves. And yeah, I just feel like then we created a friendship, you know, through that. And but just thank you. You know, it takes someone reaching out and making me feel comfortable to be in this space, because when I first got here, it was hard. It's still hard, but definitely at the top, it was hard. I feel. Yeah. And I'm going to have I hope you appreciate another fangirl moment here. But <laughs> when I first saw online what you were building with the fintech, now fintech is femme, I was absolutely blown away by just your courage and just your conviction and your openness to share your story and also just creating a platform for others that don't look like the majority to tell their story. Like, it's a huge point of inspiration for me Mm. in my daily work for my clients but also my own personal mission too right and oh god it was just it was awesome especially since i i remember i linkedin messaged you (laughs) at like 10 p.m i think on like a thursday night and you responded within like an hour i do what i can (laughs) things have changed it's been a year and a half now and i'm probably not nearly as good right but i mean it's Thank you. You're reminding me that I will get to my LinkedIn DM. Where, <laughs> but a lot has changed for both of us in that time. A lot more projects to be had and and growth. Yeah. So thank you. And let's talk about how you know the alignment there, right? Of of what you've built with Vansery and just kind of your trajectory. But to start at the beginning, give us the Leong breakdown. Like, where does your story into the fintech space? Where does that intersection kind of begin for you? That sounds good. So 
I have a tendency of drawing out like my origin story. Uh, so <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Go for Using it. The least amount of words that to describe myself, I would say that I am Chinese by birth. I am New Mexican by <laughs> by upbringing, mm-hmm. which means I love a breakfast burrito. But also, I like the mountains, and I have a fine appreciation for a good skincare routine. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I am now a mother. I'm a wife, and I am a founder, and uh, I am a hype woman. So I kind of how I describe myself. But in terms of how I got into financial services and fintech in particular, I this was an, like an area of the world that I was totally unfamiliar with. Mm. I grew up in China when it was still considered a developing country. It meant that instead of having a shower at home, we went to the bathhouse once a week. And it was totally normal for me to just run free in our neighborhood and play in construction sites in China because that was just what the world looked like then. Mm -hmm. And to fast forward to our life in New Mexico and the U.S. overall, I am an immigrant. My family, we immigrated to the U.S. back in the late 90s and settled in New Mexico, where my parents started to build their life as acupuncturists. So they opened up two acupuncture clinics while I was in high school. And so I got a taste of the entrepreneurial journey, and that really inspired me to get into uh, business overall. It was either the family business or if it was going to be business. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the options, typically. Also with Asian parents, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was like a doctor or lawyer. And I was like, I don't want to do either. Yeah, I'll just... Run the business behind. <laughs> yeah, entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I didn't I didn't really know what the entrepreneurial path looked like. Didn't really excite me. I wanted to work in corporate America. I wanted to work in financial services for that was my goal for a really long time. Kind of fell into fintech. I got into fintech when I was 19 years old, working as a marketing intern, making 100 cold calls <laughs> to mom and pop companies. But all the way to corporations like 3M about their factoring and receivables financing needs. Wow. Yeah. So did that for about three years. Like, talk about resilience building, right? <laughs> A necessity in fintech. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So got me really interested in the world. And even though conceptually and in textbooks, finance didn't make sense to me since we never talked about it growing up. But just seeing it actually live in the world and just the nuances and the depth of it and the size, the mm. sheer market size of it and the impact of it. Oh, my gosh. That's really what really inspired me to get into the space. Mm. So that and, you know, inability to really be a marketer for a dump truck manufacturing <laughs> company in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, <laughs> were the inflection points, I would say, in my younger life that really propelled me into mm. my master's of finance and now financial services. Mm-hmm. And so this is really a story that I don't share with a lot of people. And... I'm very happy to be able to share it with you today. Yeah. I mean, and how does that tie into the interest in you know, PR and media telling people's stories? Oh. <laughs> it goes back to representation. Mm-hmm. And this is a topic that you and I have touched upon, you know, in our conversation and so much of the work that we do. But, you know, growing up, never saw anybody who looked like me in the media. You know, things are starting to change now with Michelle Yu and the cast of Everything Everywhere all at once, just getting the recognition that it deserves this year. But, you know, I never saw myself. And so much of my life was about assimilation. It was about being more like the majority. It was Mm -hmm. about, like, speaking and dressing and talking and acting like somebody that I would say isn't 100% me. Mm -hmm. I think 
Same. I grew up in predominantly white spaces. I you spend a lot of time trying to create a version of yourself that is as close to proximity to what is considered the most professional, smart, good, i.e. as close to white facing as possible. I mean, how long did I have blonde hair for? Or how much did I try to like emphasize certain elements of myself so that I would be taken more seriously or get that opportunity? But yeah, I think that's a completely, unfortunately, a normal thing that a lot of, honestly, my listeners have to go through before they get to the step of being their authentic self, right? which is a little bit unfortunate. Like, I would love to create a world where you didn't have to go through that, but that's kind of where we're at today. Right. Absolutely. And I think looking back about 20 years or so, you know, I didn't really, I didn't understand then the impact that not having accurate or just representation in general in the media would actually mean for me, for my career, and now kind of looking ahead to the next generation, how it will impact them. And there were moments in my personal life as well as professional life where things were just unfair. There was discrimination. There was harassment. There were times when my name wasn't even shortlisted for a promotion where I internalized that then Mm -hmm. and didn't realize that it had to do with more than my capabilities Mm -hmm. or what I brought to the table as a worker overall. And really, it wasn't until, you know, the past five or six years, really, where I started looking more deeply into this space that I really recognized just the value of representation and how if people are not seeing somebody who look like me mm-hmm. able to lead teams and to do the things that are very much necessary, they're never going to think about me. Right. And so what I've learned in my recent work is that Asian Americans, in particular women, are not seen as leaders. Mm-hmm. I think the stat is uh, one in every 124 Asian women in the workplace is a leader. And to contrast that number, it's about one in every 50 white man is in Mm. a leadership position. And so understanding that, understanding the fact that if we, as a part of the non-majority group that are trying to work towards leadership, and then also those who are in leadership positions making decisions about who are the next generation of leaders— How are we able to, one, see ourselves in those roles Mm -hmm. and want to work towards those roles if we're not seeing Mm -hmm. others that are coming before us that look like us? And then how do those in decision-making roles see those that don't look like them able to kind of succeed Mm -hmm. in those roles and be able to kind of see value in general? Right. Well, and in in particular, it's very specific to the Asian-American culture where if we aren't seen or you know we're not shortlisted for that promotion, we are really culturally trained to just internalize that and then figure out what's wrong with us, right? Keep so, working hard. And keep working, like, well, because I didn't work hard enough, well, right. keep putting your head down, like, keep working harder. And I define that as a PR problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I define it as a, we have a narrative problem, yep. which is fintech is femme, fancy. And this <laughs> is where PR comes in. Yes. 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 So... so Keep going on that. (laughs) That is the inspiration for Vansery. And so, you know, I hustled so hard. I worked so hard in my corporate life and just in everyday work. I mean, I had three jobs in college. That's a conversation for another day. (laughs) But like I've always worked. Yeah. And it's a part of my DNA to work and to hustle and to work hard. And finally, I burnt out. Like 
I burnt out in 2019. And I took a few months off. And after taking a little bit of a breathing room, I was like, what do I want to do? And I was like, I have no idea. Um, So I was like, you know, I'll start freelancing for a little bit. But that was really when I started kind of wanting to dig deeper into my community to really like reconnect with my Chinese self, with my inner Chinese girl. (laughs) And once I started doing that, it was like my eyes were open to Mm -hmm. just like the amount of the lack of that like the possibility, you know? Yes. But also, yes, there's a huge possibility. It unfortunately coincided with COVID-19 and the fortunate part of it was that it validated so much my experience. Mm-hmm. Just like the amount of Asian hate that existed, that happened, that still happened on a day-to-day basis. It really opened my eyes even further to just the amount of work that needs to be done and the opportunity there is mm-hmm. for us to kind of carve out this space even further for ourselves. And so officially launched Vansery in the middle of 2020 in the height of the pandemic from home after having some time to kind of do some internal work and just double down and led with conviction around the fact that like underrepresented individuals and women that includes Black, Latin and Asian. And we just need more representation overall. We need to be changing that narrative. We need to PR ourselves. We just need to be doing a lot more of the work that the majority is already doing. Right. Well, and we're we need people that are actively building companies that help us do that and get there and teach us how to tell our stories and teach us how to rewrite narratives because we were not taught to do that back to, you know, what you're sharing about your story and both of us have experienced, right? We're used to assimilating. So why would we have grown up knowing how to share our stories? We don't, you know? And so we need literal, it's, it is, it is work. It's why you and I have jobs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's because we're, it's because of that there's a clear need there. Right. So let's just go back to like kind of, so you launched in 2020 mm-hmm. and Vansery, does Vansery focus specifically on Asian American clients? Is that like your main focus or is that kind of your main focus? And then you also help literally all sorts of different types of people. Like talk to us about like the business. So we're very open. Okay. So we, Vansery works with female founders, companies that are founded by minorities Mm -hmm. but also we work with companies and investors who are also working to build a more inclusive as well as sustainable future because even though we as underrepresented individuals not that i love that term Mm -hmm. but we who are not the majority we have our own work that we need to do but we also need to create allies and sponsors and we need to also normalize the conversation on the other side too and help build a community around us so that we can all collectively work towards just a better future in general. And I think that there is a lot of elevation that needs to be done for those that are not the majority, but also like we all have a collective responsibility mm-hmm. to changing just the overall. Mm-hmm. So how are things going though? So like Vance 3 is now three years? Yeah, three years. Three years old? Three years old. How old is Olivia? <laughs> <laughs> It's tired. Olivia's 20 months. <laughs> so if you do the math, so we pretty much, it was like renovated with my apartment. I uh, <laughs> I got pregnant and I doubled down on Vansery all pretty much within like a four month period. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're a founder, CEO of your own company. We're a you know, relatively new mom mm-hmm. and we're 
changing and rewriting the entire narrative of the financial services and fintech industry. I mean, yeah. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. <laughs> okay. My skin routine has definitely suffered. And so has my work out regimen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Kind of back to, you know, what you're doing in, in the PR space. I mean, no one else is really having this very direct focus from, That's in correct. a sense, from what yes. you're seeing. I mean, That's correct. Yeah. How is it evolving for the clients that you have been kind of working with this whole time? Like, how is it going? Like the process of kind of working with someone and being like, okay, I understand as well that you've had to simulate for a lot of your life. How do you change the, you know, narrative and the story? Especially because like, as amazing as like Michelle Yeoh is in that movie, you know, it's more of a recognition of we have so much more to go. Yes, absolutely. So I think that working with the founders that I worked with, you know, everybody has a little bit of a different story to tell. And, you know, PR is an exercise of self-reflection. It is yeah. a lot of internal work. It's easy to kind of examine the business and to say, like, this is what makes us unique. This is why we're awesome. This is how we differentiate from our competitors. But there is no clear SWOT analysis for your personal journey. Mm -hmm. You can go into it and be like, this is what makes me different. This is the value that I add to the world. And this is why people should care. Like, that's a very hard journey to kind of take somebody through if they haven't done the work themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for a lot of the founders that I work with, we're still very much trying to build on, I would say, like the business trajectory and the growth momentum. And it's rare that I have a founder who very much is focused on the community about the amplification, like directly, like wanting that to be one of their messaging pillars. But the thing that we're kind of overlooking is that any representation, any increase in representation in the media mm -hmm is increasing the share of voice for our community. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge plus. That's a huge positive mm -hmm. because it will signal to future investors and to future leader makers that we're good at being leaders. And so the stats are now coming out about how, you know, Fortune 500 companies, if there's a woman CEO, they're actually more profitable than right. the led one. I can't wait until we have a study that show Asian-founded and built companies are more successful, have better control over profitability than mm -hmm. just overall, mm -hmm. the overall market. We've seen that even in the small business space. So I've worked with a number of uh, startups that have focused on financial offerings for the small business space. So I've spent many hours diving deeply into the S <laughs> small business bureau <laughs> databases. Uh, I admit I'm a nerd for numbers. <laughs> and it's so interesting when you start to unpack just like the number of businesses founded by women and men, different minority groups, how successful they are. And Asian-owned businesses are actually one of the highest grossing revenue mm -hmm. type of businesses compared to any other minority group. Mm. That in itself is powerful. Yeah. Well, and it's it's back to the opportunity, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're in this place where we're getting more aware of the lack of representation. I mean, we're aware, but, you know, spreading that message around, you know, particularly for the Asian American community and then amplifying the fact that this is a lucrative opportunity. Like there is money to be had. This is good for business. 
but that the Asian American story in particular is just not is like still not told enough and just still so misunderstood. And I think especially in business, there's like a misconception also that like Asian people are fine. Oh, yeah. I think that Asians are um, we're minorities when it fits a certain narrative Mm -hmm. and we're the majority when it fits the other narrative. Mm -hmm. We see this in so many different areas of our life across education, Mm -hmm. across business, in movies, like you name it. For the most part, it's like we're like more like the minority when like the minority metric needs to be met, but they haven't hired their head of diversity, yeah. an inclusion officer. Yeah. It's kind of like a tough place to be. But also within the community itself, you have very disparate groups of individuals too. those who also see it as a problem and those who don't. Mm-hmm. And those who don't, they kind of float through life, you know being okay and wanting to support others as well, which is an amazing place to be. Mm -hmm. But also they haven't necessarily taken a look at their experiences, what they're saying, and how does that affect those around them who may or may not be struggling as well, and also those to come after them too. Mm. Yeah, I would love to just have the financial services and fintech space have that type of awareness to be described as something different, to actually be that representation of these consumers and communities that we want to serve. I mean, you're talking about small businesses and entrepreneurs. If we don't have Asian American representation and leadership in the fintech space, how are those entrepreneurs supposed to see us as a proper tool, right? Financial tool for success. And that happens through that awareness. It is your what you're doing in PR and and what media does is so it hits such like both sides, right? And it's such a bridge to getting the audience to see and understand, but also to getting the industry to see and understand. And so, I mean, it feels like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> it's good. Put a lot good. of pressure on ourselves. Oh, good. We it's, can do it. It's I mean, if our parents didn't yeah. prepare us for this moment <laughs> in time to be like completely in on this. I mean, how do you see kind of the, I guess, the almost trajectory of this? Like I said, I think we're still in like representation is there, but we and we're making progress. But then you see like a shitty headline come out, yeah, you know, about Asian Americans still in, in major media publications. You know, you don't have to say who. Ooh, triggering words. <laughs> and I mean, and I know you're deep in this, right? Like yeah. you are seeing it. Yeah. All the time, every day, especially given what you do. Yeah. I mean, it's my job to read headlines, to dissect articles and to understand who's writing about what and what is the editorial cadence on an annual basis. And this is another point where it really validates just the lack of awareness and I think care of the Asian American community as well, where there's definitely been insensitive headlines Mm -hmm. from some major publications around whether or not Asian Americans face any sort of discrimination in the United States. Social media actually has been amazing to kind of watch because there has definitely been an increase in the past few years of activists who are much more open about just their feelings of these type of headlines. They want to make a change. Uh, The younger generation in particular, they are calling out racist, sexist comments, headlines, and, you know, kind of putting people on watch. Mm -hmm which is amazing. But 
It's just, you know, I think financial services, though, I think to kind of go back to your question around how do we make financial services like an example of what could be done well, mm-hmm. I think that financial services, what they don't really, I feel like they haven't quite exactly grasped the opportunity and just how much weight the community puts on the topic of money. Mm-hmm. Like mm. for New Year's, we literally say, go and see Fatai in Chinese, which means hope you have success and wealth in the new year yeah like we give red envelopes mm-hmm. like money is tradition <laughs> like gold yeah coins and things <laughs> yeah <Gold> coins <laughs> yeah and red envelopes mm-hmm. filled with cash that is the appropriate gift for any occasion like money gets exchanged at any holiday everything it is everything generational wealth is everything and so Financial services in America need to kind of wake up to that and they need to recognize how important money is to the Asian community. And that itself is a huge opportunity to tap into. Yeah. And I mean, what a good point. Same in, you know, in the Philippines. I mean, if I if you go to like a traditional Filipino wedding during the one of the like slow dances at the reception, they uh, pin like money to the bride's you know, uh, to her veil or whatever, where they're like pinning it to the, and it's like a fun thing. Like all of your relatives are like throwing hundred dollar bills at you. I mean, looking forward to that day. Uh, for me personally, we like money. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but to kind of, it's it actually is so funny that you say this because culturally, you know, we use you know money as this like token, right, of appreciation. Meanwhile, like traditional American culture does not speak of money. Money, right? So how funny is that? <laughs> yeah funny about money yeah <laughs> how weird is that yeah and then it's like we should be a part of almost like the cultural conversation around money and money psychology and and having more discussions of that but i also think from like the asian american perspective you're also still told to be pretty like you're never taught to brag right which can make talking about like your salaries or talking about yourself yourself <laughs> Yeah, out there, hard, and then you tie in, you know, what you're doing, right? You want someone to go out there and put them their, themselves out there, stick their neck out, and talk about money, and to represent. Right now, because there's a lack of representation to represent a community, like mm-hmm. everything that I do for myself as well as the community, it's like I then become part of the representation because to the people who are paying attention to what I'm doing, like what I'm doing on a day to day basis. And what I say will then become a bit of their expectation, too, for the others in their lives as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have to lead by example. Yeah. And I think, how do you, like, encourage, I guess, more of that? You know, it, is it just, like, the day-to-day actions, especially with your clients that maybe do, may feel like they're afraid or that type of thing? I mean, I always am thinking about, like, that, how do we continue to move forward? And then also, how do we get people that aren't a part of our you know that aren't asian american people to be brought in like to to understand that we're also a a market worth serving we're leaders worth telling the story even if we've been historically quiet and silenced those are two very big and very important <laughs> very questions. big questions yes i think about it all the time Dave, oh, i wake up thinking about it i go to you talk thinking about it i'm like i read about every single you know asian american huff pose and oh article you know i think that collectively we have to recognize that we have to do our own pr 
that we have to learn and to put into practice of figuring out our story and then getting putting ourselves out there. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that every single little bit counts and that the impact of it will exponentially grow. If every single one of us in the community is doing our own PR and is able to take ownership of it, that would be huge. And I think for financial services businesses, they need to recognize that there is a huge market opportunity in this space. And I'm starting to see it in wealth management where numerous multilingual financial advisors are starting to build a practice serving the Chinese speaking, Mm. the Japanese speaking market in their specific cities. Because when it comes to American financial products, it's really hard for foreigners to understand the concept Mm. without understanding even the language. When we're starting to talk about target day funds Mm -hmm. and diversification of it, Mm -hmm. of a stock portfolio, like... My mom can't understand that. When I try to explain life insurance to her, she's like, I don't know what that means and I don't know when and where I'm supposed to get it. And so without any of this information kind of presented either, well, by people, but also in language that they can understand, it's really hard for them to really see value in it. And I think Mm -hmm. that has been a huge disconnect between the financial services world and minority populations in the U.S. when it comes to financial products to date. Mm. And I think this also is comes down to communication and public relations as well. Mm-hmm. And which is why you're how you're solving it. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's kind of back to the both sides thing. How is it tackling both? Because I can feel that, too. And by that, I mean, you're being the bridge. I think that's something that the Asian-American community is so you know, incredible at is almost bridging between like, okay, the consumer, right? And then the prof- and the business professional. And that's like a seat we we are in also as just like PR and media folks. But I don't know, I guess I'm thinking about like that kind of just breaking some of the like cognitive dissonance around that. Yeah, just like- Yeah, like what's the yeah. tie? Like how do you- Yeah. This is all tied because it is, it is, it all ties You together. know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a consumer, there's a diverse consumer in America, and then you have the decision makers over here mm-hmm. and like what are the bridges to get from consumer or do products that address the consumer from the decision makers mm-hmm. and how do you think about building for mm-hmm. a more inclusive and sustainable community really? And it comes- down to having a diverse group of individuals who offer different perspectives, experiences, Mm -hmm. all having a seat at the table, being able to talk about their own unique experiences, being able to share. And so it really comes down to equality and it comes down to equity. Mm -hmm. And it's about having a seat at the table. It's about talking about just how everybody's different, what matters, what doesn't what's important for the different communities when it comes to product building, when it comes to marketing spend decisions, when it comes to translation needs, Mm. to PR and community outreach programs. But without having the right leaders in the room, without having those individuals in the room, it's really hard to like actually get those perspectives. And so right now, I think what PR and communications is able to do is to elevate those who have the potential to be in the room, to have those conversations, to represent their communities. And that's the power of PRs to get those people out there 
and visible Mm -hmm. to be found. And so that when people are looking for people to be at the table, they're easily Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, that's that bridge and the like connectivity that I was trying to like speak to. (laughs) So thank you. To close this out, I actually kind of have one question for you thinking about what was there like a media moment for you that made you go, oh, my gosh, this is the first time I'm seeing myself represented in like American media. Is there like a movie or like a book or something? Was it everything everywhere all at once? Gosh, I hope there was something before that. I have something in my mind. <laughs> I'm going to share my answer after I ask you. <laughs> Did you have one? Oh gosh. Um, actually, because I've never shared this before. So <laughs> the only representation I really saw growing up was like, Asian, the token Asian in TV shows. Mm-hmm. It also meant that like Lucy Liu was like one of the key icons mm-hmm. yeah, that does. I saw. Yeah. Charlie's Angels. It's a good one. Right. She really was the first time that I felt really seen. Yeah. Because she was dynamic. She was in America in a role that like was just so different than like, you know, Hidden Dragons. Or, mm-hmm. it's a, How she targets yes. Hidden Dragons. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. So different. And uh, like a lot more accessible, if yeah. You know, and in such a badass role of being like a female spy, yeah. Oh my god, like that was so cool. Yeah, and one of the main characters. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the first times that I really like saw what my future self could be. Oh my gosh. And so it actually inspired me to like dabble for about six months to see if I could become like a spy you know, or actress. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Well, I'm. Either way, I'm so happy that you're in financial services and fintech PR because, oh my gosh, we need it. Well, my answer to that was going to be the Joy Luck Club. That for me was the first. I hadn't read the book until I was 15 years old and it was surprisingly a school requirement. And I was the only Asian kid in my class and I was like the only person jazzed about reading that book. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I know this is this. I was like annotating all over it. I was just like always raising my hand and answering questions in class and my teacher was like, whoa, you're really into this book. And I'm like, I've literally never read a book so similar to my life ever. Yeah. <laughs> ever. But yeah, and it made me realize like I'm not alone. There are there are other people having these experiences. And then when you have that validation, it's so much easier to move forward and, and be successful in your life. And I think that's also a huge part of what we're doing is helping people feel validated and helping their experiences be heard and pushing it forward. So, oh my gosh. Liang, thank you so much for joining you, me Nicole. on Humans of Fintech. Thanks for bearing with me while I had a couple of mm. <laughs> moments. But yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Nicole. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.